Good morning, everybody. It's a beautiful Saturday in Dallas, Texas, and welcome to another episode of the Three Deeper Cuts podcast, a lifestyle magazine for the practicing surgical pathologist. My name is Chuck G, and I'm excited to share with you another couple chapters of a novel that I'm working on called No Lab for Old Men. Let's kick it off. Chapter 3. Frank D'Elia grew up in North Chicago to an Irish-Italian family with four brothers and three sisters. He was the middle child, and in the middle is where good Catholics stop counting. He was tall, athletic, and lettered in three sports in high school before his senior year. That was the year his father, Joe, took an engineering job with an oil and gas infrastructure company in Dallas. As a natural athlete and academic, he adjusted to the abrupt social change better than most kids would have. Frank knew whatever he chose to do in life, it would likely be in a quiet office behind stacks of books. His admission to medical school happened almost accidentally when the dean's office lost his application. When he called to inquire, the secretary, succumbing to his naturally soothing manner of questioning, related to related a series of symptoms which Frank probed, ultimately diagnosing her with multiple sclerosis over the phone. He made this diagnosis casually whilst driving and listening to NPR's morning edition. Frank was a savant. You wouldn't be able to tell because of his tall, athletic avatar. But that's it. It was an avatar. The real Frank was a different kind of guy. He'd been on few dates, mostly setups by his older sisters when they lived in Chicago, but now he, he was in Texas, surrounded by the macho cowboy and frat boy culture. In his last year of college, he is at the local YMCA shooting hoops, waiting for his last round of transcripts to go through, the, go through to the medical school. There's a group of five guys on one end of the basketball court, and the place has a classic smell of rubber and wood, like those old Hoosier courts from that Gene Hackman movie everyone's heard about but nobody actually ever saw. The court echoes with well-aired basketballs, dribbling, rebounding, and colliding with other basketballs as the collegiate intramural kids practice screens and setups. Guy 1. Can you believe we only have one year left? Guy 2. Of college? Guy 1. Yeah, I was planning on playing for the Rockets, but then my knee started giving me issues. What kind of knee issues? The kind that makes me undraftable. Guy number three. It's called a torn meniscus. Guy one. Well, technically it's not torn. Guy two. Then what is it? I don't know. They offered me surgery. Guy three. What were they going to repair if it wasn't actually torn? 
I bet they could find something there and there to repair. I wasn't about to let some ortho resident start debriding my knee. Frank walks in, overhearing the conversation. You might want to get an MRI on that knee. Frank ambles over to their side of the court, casually dribbling a basketball, then pops it up from his knee to the back of his neck, then spins it on his finger in a playful display of skill. Guy number three whispers, What's this guy talking about? Guy number two, It's 1987, numb nuts. MRIs haven't been invented. What are you, from the future or something? Guy number one, don't I know you from somewhere? Frank, MRIs are, are changing the landscape of diagnostic imaging. Soon they will be essentially mandatory for anyone undergoing surgical, evalu surgical evaluation of the knee. Guy number one, that's right. You're the guy from Chicago who got into medical school downtown by making some wild diagnosis over the phone. Guy number two, why don't you take that Chicago medicine and leave it up by the steel mills in Gary? Frank, is that intended to be an insult? Frank calmly shoots a one-handed free throw over their heads, easily sinking it in through the net. One of the qualities attached to Frank's unusually high intelligence quotient was an aloofness that made him virtually unassailable through traditional means of verbal warfare. Frank looks at guy number two. What's your name, String Bean? Guy number two, Jefferson. Are you a deep thinker, Jefferson? Are you into paradoxically? Are you paradoxically into philosophy and slavery? Dashes around De Jefferson, does a spin move, and sinks an easy layup. Guy number one, game on, suckers. The four students playing and an intense game of two-on-two two in the old bleacher hall. Squeaks of high-top shoes echoing against the asbestos-lined walls and ceilings. There was a tall set of bleachers on the north side, and it went up some four stories. The south side was lower. That's where they rested their gym bags. Nobody looked up at the north side. There was a row of lights there was a row of lights out on the top's set of bleachers. A dim ray of sun pierced through the bands of old dust floating up, floating up there. A lonely sparrow flew in and out, seemingly looking for something. And in the darkest corner was an old man striped in striped coveralls with long gray hair and a spiderweb tattoo on his left forearm. He was sitting up there with an old transistor radio, a Panasonic from 1973, which crackled over the score of what sounded like an Astros game. Then the game on the old man's radio switched to an unexpected opera soundtrack. It sounded like German, but could have been Italian as far as the intramural basketball players cared. The music was muffled through the sounds of breathing, swishing hoops, and shouting as the students approached the final score of 44 to 38, with Frank and guy number one about to close the deal, Frank, to his new teammate.
If I'd known it was going to be this easy, we could have gotten some cash involved. Guy number one. Heads up, Frank. Passes the ball aggressively. Three, two, one. Swish. As Frank tosses up a fadeaway. And with that, the final basket, a hissing noise came from the dark corner of the north side bleachers. The old man was standing now with his transistor radio, and now there was some 20 sparrows flying in and out of the old window with an eerie ray of with an eerie ray of light and a cloud of dust. The radio spewed a garbled opera opera medley uh, opera melody which began to fill the gymnasium. The dust particles gathered into a cloud which slithered down the bleacher stairs and onto the court. And as those particles gathered in the afternoon sun that seeped in through the large canvas-like windows on either end of the court, the ground started to rumble. Guy number three, what's going on? Frank, no idea, fellas. Hit the deck. It feels like an earthquake. Jefferson, you idiots hit the deck. I'm getting out of here. Jefferson takes off in a weekly athletic spring across the glossy floor, losing his footing every third step. And as he crossed the opposing three-point line, the court began to rumble louder, and a colossal chasm split down the center line. The collegiate-sized wooden floor of the university gymnasium split like a seam down the middle in a horrifying cascade of crumbling concrete and ash. The boys started coughing violently and scraped with their spindly legs to scoot themselves away from the rapidly expanding seam, and within seconds it was becoming a canyon. Jefferson's last-ditch escape attempt was in utter futility as his foot became trapped under concrete slabs and he sunk deeper into the chasm under the basketball net closest to the large double doors of the gymnasium entrance. He was the closest of the four to safety and oddly the closest to disaster. The boys watched in horror as Jefferson clawed desperately with his fingernails to climb up, now with bleeding fingers and palms. The earth was shaking and debris was falling falling from the gymnasium ceiling. Old banners and pennants from years past from when the Mustangs were actually good. Jefferson had never known fear like this. A warm stream of urine careening down his left pant leg and deeper still into the chasm, which was now forming an irregular staircase arcing around the sides. The opera music from where the old man was sitting on the north side of the bleachers was now screaming at the boys, who are now mostly in tears except Frank. Frank's eyes rolled back as the earth rumbled and heaved. He had scooted himself into a flexed posture and his legs were in a spasm of contracture. The boys called to him, but their attention shifted to Jefferson, who was hanging on for his life. 
none of them knew how deep the chasm ran. None of them could believe their eyes. End of chapter 3. That's it for this morning. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Three Deeper Cuts. The next time, we're going to take you deeper into No Lab for Old Men. And future, podcasts, and future podcasts will be uh, a mixture of fiction work that I'm writing, stories from my career in medicine and in, its, and in the laboratory industry, um, and a mixture of copy that I'm writing of, um, uh, on various professional and pseudo-professional topics of how I got to where I am and things that I'm working on and things that hopefully would help you if you're a young physician or healthcare worker on the come up. Um, So I hope you'll continue to join me on these future episodes. And if you'd like to see the uh, written form of this, drop me a follow on Twitter, 3 Deeper Cuts, uh, or check out my website, 3DeeperCuts.net, or you can also also follow me on my substack, uh, 3DeeperCuts.substack.com. Have an excellent weekend, and we'll talk to you next time. Cheers.